You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Maybe seated. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. It's so great to be here. Kelowna, we drove down from uh, Salmon Arm this morning, just outside of Salmon Arm, and I must tell you, the air is a little bit fresher here than up there. And you might think, well, how's that possible? Well, we got more smoke up there than, we, than you do down here, so it's great to be here. Um, particularly a joy to be seeing you face to face. I've come down the last, um, in the last year and a half a few times, and we've recorded um, at the office, and, uh, but you know, seeing you live is way better than looking at a camera. You know, it is so hard to preach on, a, you know, just when you've when you got a camera, you've got to look at the red dot, and I can look around now, and I don't have to focus on a little red or blue dot. Um, and so it's great to be here. I love coming down to Hope Bible Church. Love you guys. I love the church. I love what you are doing as a church. I appreciate Pastor Meldon's leadership and Pastor Brett. Thank you so much for the invitation. Elders here and leaders, I appreciate it so much. Um, I find it particularly cool that we could be at the German Center or whatever it's called, German something something center or hall or whatever. Ich bin in Deutschland aufgewachsen und so ist das richtig gut hier heute. Können wir Deutsch sprechen heute Morgen? Ein, ein, yeah, a few of you. Good, right on. Perfect. I did grow up in Germany. I lived there for 17 years. And so um, my dad was an evangelist. And some of you have heard my story a little bit in the past as I've been down at Hope Bible a few times. My dad was an evangelist, which simply means he was a proclaimer of the gospel, of the good news. And I would sit through a lot of evangelistic meetings, or they used to call them crusades, probably not a term that we use very often today anymore. You know, you think about the crusades, right? Marching into Jerusalem and conquering. Well, they had evangelistic crusades back when I was growing up, and my dad was an evangelist. And so I grew up hearing the good news, the gospel all my life, and I became super familiar with the words of the gospel and probably to some degree too familiar i became way too familiar in the sense that the gospel didn't move me anymore the gospel didn't move my affections it didn't amaze me it didn't grip my heart i wasn't overwhelmed by the beauty and the enormity of the gospel i was so familiar with the gospel as a matter of fact that after i graduated from high school in germany the summer afterwards, we came back to Canada, and I was working at a little Bible camp in northern, well, I was actually in Saskatchewan, but it was called Beaver, uh, um, Beaver Lake Bible Camp. And even though I didn't know Jesus personally at that stage, I led four young men in my cabin to Jesus because I knew the gospel in my mind. And I knew the right words to say, but my own heart was far from God. And God rescued me in my first year of Bible school. Can you imagine God saving somebody at Bible school? Yeah, Bible school students need to be saved too. And he saved me in his grace and his mercy, even though I grew up in this wonderful home where the gospel is proclaimed. And even after coming to know Jesus, I confess that in my ministry, I somehow missed the bigness of the gospel. Uh, I knew that the gospel was important for people who didn't know Jesus, but somehow what had missed me was that the gospel was important for me as a follower of Jesus too. And then God did an amazing thing in my life. About 20 years ago, he started opening up, as a pastor in Winnipeg, started opening up my eyes and my heart to the reality of the gospel and the need for the gospel and the promises of the gospel for me as a follower of Jesus. 
And so, yes, the gospel is critical for those who don't know Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online or you're inside and you don't know Jesus. Understand that the gospel, which means good news, is critical for you. But follower of Jesus, don't tune out when you hear the gospel because the gospel's for you too. And uh, we're going to look at a text this morning that's going to show how important the gospel is for all of us. One of my desires at Miller, so Miller College of the Bible is a Bible college. Uh, and our home campus is out in Saskatchewan. And we have an extension campus out here in Sunnybrae, just outside of Salmon Arm. And we're launching another one in Winnipeg this fall. And one of my desires for our Miller students is that they would grow in their understanding and love for the gospel as they discover all of the promises and all of the realities and all of the implications of the gospel for their life going forward. Uh, the most concise scripture about the gospel is found in 1 Corinthians. You don't need to turn there, but listen to Paul's words, 1 Corinthians 15, when he says this. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel, the good news, that I preach to you. For I deliver to you as of first importance. This is, this is number one. I actually preached this text here a few years ago at Hope Bible Church. This is, this is number one of first importance. What? That what I also received from, from God, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so the message of the gospel is this, that God is a holy and righteous God. He's magnificent and he is creator of everything, of all things. And we, his creation, have chosen to rebel and to sin against him and commit treason against our creator our maker, which as a result has separated us from him and brought death to all mankind, both physical death and, and spiritual death. But God, in his great love and mercy and grace, sent his son Jesus to take upon himself our sin, our punishment. And he died in our place and was buried and then rose victorious from the, uh, from the dead. And now everyone here in this parking lot and listening online anyone and everyone who trusts places their faith in jesus alone our heavenly father grants to us new life he justifies us he declares us righteous and he reconciles us back to himself that's good news that's good news people in this world are looking for good news and my prayer this morning is that your hearts would be encouraged with this good news that jesus rescued you or desires to rescue you i love the gospel i love the gospel more now as a 56 year old than i ever have in my life and i think as we grow in our understanding of god's kindness and goodness to us our hearts can do nothing but be overwhelmed with how how kind he has been to us and so it's a particular joy to spend some time focusing on the gospel in a text that shines the spotlight on it so if you have your bibles Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, and um, we've already heard the reading of this text this morning. And here's where we're going this morning. I'm going to make four observations from this text, and then one outplay of this text, and then we'll be done. little application at the end, but that's really short. So four observations, an outplay of this text, and then we'll uh, sing another song, I think, and, and you guys can walk around and get a little... It's kind of hot under those... Uh, things isn't it getting a bit of a breeze well yeah help yourself to one of those spray guns and 
spray each other, even though Brett said not to. I think it'd be kind of fun, right? Just, hey, wake up over there. Click, click. So we have here, and we've already read the text, so I'm, I'm not going to read it in its full, but I'm going to reference verses. And so if you have your Bible open, you're going to be able to see it. Here's the first observation that I want you to see is that the gospel is about God's glory. The good news of Jesus coming to this earth, dying on the cross, rescuing us, being raised from the dead, is about God's glory. Look at it in verse 3, the first part. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just that little phrase. I mean, you could keep on going. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That little word blessed is important. That word is found in the Bible often in the New Testament. Most of the time it's translated happy or, or well, that's really what, it's, what, what it, the meaning is, happy. But this word blessed in this particular text is not that Greek word. This word is only found eight times and, and it, it has more to do with to be well spoken of or to be highly praised or to extol or to ascribe glory and honor. In other words, Peter is saying here that this God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, much should be made of him. Much should be made of him. And as we're going to unpack this text, you're going to see that it has a, a gospel flavor. But the first thing I want you to see is that the gospel is all about God and his glory. The gospel does that because the gospel is saturated with God himself, with his kindness, with his goodness towards us. God himself is the center point of the gospel. John Piper, back about 15 years ago, wrote a book called God is the Gospel. Because he is, he's the centerpiece of the gospel. And as we grow in our understanding of the gospel, this good news and the depths of all of its implications for us, God becomes bigger and bigger in our minds and in our hearts. He's magnified in our thinking and in our affections. And our only response is to make much of him. Oh, I was wondering if somebody was driving up here with a little motorbike or something, but it's the fan hitting the tarp. And so as we, as we grow in our understanding of this good news and all that God is for us, there's only going to be one response, and the response is, Look at how great God is. Look at the good things that he's done for us. I'm sure that um, many of you, maybe all of you, but many of you know the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And, and here's the words of the third stanza. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. And here's the response. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Why do we praise God? Because he took my sin. He, he took your sin and nailed it to the cross once for all, everything. And our only response is to God be the glory. Praise him for what he's done. Years ago, I got a little pamphlet. This was in my very first pastorate when I was out in PEI. And the little pamphlet was called 50 Things That Happened to You the Moment of Your Salvation. And, and it's got 50 different things that happen at that very moment when you put your trust in Jesus. And as you work through those things, and there might be more, but this particular person came up with 50 things. As you start understanding from a biblical standpoint all of the benefits that there are through the gospel and all that God has done to rescue us, our only response when we start to get this is to make much of the one who's done it for us. And so the gospel is about God's glory. 
And, and it, the gospel will act as a springboard, as it were, for people to see how amazing God really is. And the gospel is all about making God famous in our lives. Here's the second observation, the last part of verse 3. The gospel is about God's mercy for you. The gospel is about God's mercy for you. It says in the last part of uh, verse 3, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love God's mercy. Do you know that you're here this, this morning because of mercy? Mercy is not getting what you rightly deserve. Mercy is not getting what you rightly deserve. And, and I just taught, I alluded to the fact that we, we rebelled against God, our creator. And he has every right to abolish us. He actually says to Adam and Eve in the garden, if you disobey me, you're going to die that day. And he promised that, and we began to die physically, and we certainly died spiritually that day as a human race. It's kind of like an inmate on death row, awaiting the death sentence. And what you and I deserve for our sinfulness, for our rebellion against the holy and a righteous and a great God is to be separated from him and damned forever. That is a biblical principle. Read the Old Testament. It's all through there, and, and, it, and, and, and the... The ultimate expression of that is Jesus dying on the cross, demonstrating that, yes, sin cost him his life. Your sin, my sin, cost Jesus his life. He did it willingly. He went to the cross because he loved us, but it, it culminates in his death. Well, it doesn't finish there. He rises from the dead, right? Jesus is alive today. And so that's our hope. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, among, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of God. But God, in his great mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This text here in 1 Peter is clear that it's because of God's mercy that he has brought us to life. You're starting this sermon series today called Life in the Sun. And uh, Peter is clear here that our uh, relationship with God comes through Jesus and his life becomes our life. This is what it says in the last part. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's all about the cross, what Jesus did there, and we are born again. We were dead. You, if you know Jesus this morning, don't forget that. That at one point you were dead, spiritually dead. But he's made you alive. He's the one who's caused you to come to life. He's the one that gave you a new heart. He's taken your old heart and supernaturally he's given you a new heart. It's an amazing a miracle that takes place at the moment of our salvation when we put our faith in Jesus alone. One commentator said this about this particular te text. The gospel commands dead men to rise, dead men to believe, dead men to understand, dead men to repent. The gospel commands dead people to do what, frankly, they cannot do. What can a dead person do? Nothing. And so what does God do? He sends Jesus who now brings us to life, it says it right here, that through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, God causes us to come to life. What good news that is. How does he do that? Well, through the cross. Through the cross, Jesus dying, being buried, and rising from the dead, and it's all about God. 
It's Jesus on the cross taking the punishment and the penalty that belonged to you and to me. We were once on death row, des deserving of God's wrath. And God in his love towards you and me, he sends his only son to bear that penalty on himself so that we might escape death row. Isn't that an amazing truth? Here's a third observation. The gospel is about God's strength for you today, right here and right now. Do you know, follower of Jesus this morning, that God wants to strengthen you? He wants to give you everything that you need. He wants to guard your life from temptation and sin right now, and it's through the gospel. If you skip down to verse 5, this is what it says. Who by God's power are, be, are being guarded. Now, just stop for a minute. Think about the tense that Peter's writing in who are being guarded, that's present tense right now, God is doing this for you and me, follower of Jesus, understand, he is doing this, he's guarding you through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's this future part, there's a salvation yet to come that Peter talks about, but right now, in this very present moment, God is guarding you. Some of the other translations uh, talk about, the, 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 the uh, NIV says, He's shielding you. If you're an old schooler and you got your KJV in front of you, it says keeping you. He's keeping you. And so the gospel keeps you. The gospel shields you. The gospel guards you. Today, follower of Jesus, understand that though the gospel did rescue you once at one time, brought you to life, right now the gospel is guarding you for something that's yet to happen, a future salvation that's coming your way and my way. The moment that you trust Jesus Christ, you know what happens? He gives you his Holy Spirit. We don't have time to go delve deep into that, but understand this, follower of Jesus. And, and if you don't know Jesus, understand this, that, that you can try all you want in your own strength to live a life that would be honoring and glorifying to God. You can't do it. I don't have enough willpower to do that. But there's somebody who can help you. And his name is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. And the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. God himself dwells in you and gives you everything that you need from moment to moment as you walk and surrender and submission to him. And it's an amazing truth. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 8. Listen to these amazing words. He says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Now just, let me just, Unpack that just for a minute. There's this Holy Spirit who is part of the Godhead. And Paul is saying, if the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That's an amazing thought. That the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you today. I sometimes ask our students, and I, I've said this here at, at Hope Bible Church before, but how much, how much power does it take to raise Jesus from the dead? And our students will say something like, lots. And it's the right answer. Lots of power. And it says here that that same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, that took lots of power, he dwells in you. And then Peter, uh, Paul goes on to say, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal or your dying bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you understand that this morning, follower of Jesus? that the Holy Spirit who lives in you is going to give life to you today. Not just eternal life, that's coming yet, but right now, he's giving you something. He's guarding you, like Peter says in chapter 1. He's guarding you. 
And if you start comparing the struggles that you have in this life, could I just pose a hypothetical question? Does it take more power for God to help you with the struggle, which is very real, but probably in light of eternity, in light of the resurrection of Christ, smaller than raising Jesus from the dead? If the Holy Spirit has enough power to raise Jesus from the dead, do you think he's going to have enough power to help you in your struggle today? I guarantee he does. You need to walk in surrender to him. You need to walk in obedience to him. Here's the third observation, or fourth observation. The gospel is about God's future promise for you. The gospel is about God's future promise for you. It's about God's glory. It's about God's mercy for you. It's about God's power for you right now, today. But the gospel is also about God's future promise for you. Look at the last part of verse 3 and into verse 4 and the first part of verse 5. He has caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. There is another day coming when we're going to experience our full salvation. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. Right now we're being saved from the power of sin in our life. And one day we're going to be saved from the very presence of sin, a salvation ready to be revealed. Well, I love some of the language that, that Peter uses here. It's, it, isn't it amazing that he says that you've been born again to a living hope? It kind of reminds me of a name of a church I know of in Kelowna. Hope Bible Church. And he's saved us, or he's, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. I've got to believe that Pastor Mel or pa Pastor Brett or some other people have talked about what is hope. It's different than the kind of English vernacular that you and I use in our day and age today. Like, uh, I hope the smoke dissipates today. Well, that's kind of wishful thinking, right? We know it's not going to happen, probably, um, or whatever else you might be hoping for. I got up early this morning, and not only to pray and get things in my mind for today, but I also tuned into YouTube because at 6 o'clock, and then it was 6.30, and then it got delayed to 7.30, and I was already on the road. So I don't even know if this has happened or not. But at 6.30 Pacific time today, Richard Branson, along with five other people, were supposed to launch into space. Did that happen? Anybody know if that happened or not? Anybody watch that? Can you raise your hand if it happened? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. <laughs> I cared enough to try to watch this. But you've heard, of, you've heard of Sir Richard Branson and Elon Musk with his SpaceX Dragon and Jeff Bezos of Amazon with his Blue Origin New Shepard. And all these billionaires are spending their money because they're looking for hope. Listen to some of the quotes from these wealthy men, trendsetters in this world, but they're missing the greatest hope of all. Richard Branson says, space has always fascinated me as a young boy looking up at the stars. I found it impossible to, re to resist thinking about what is out there. Let me tell you, Sir Richard Branson, what's out there. God is out there. And God holds the universe together with his, the word of his power. And, and he's flung the universe out with his little finger. And he keeps everything in order. Now he's trying to reach it somehow. Mr. Branson, Elon Musk said this, I think the most important thing is to create 
a self-sustaining city on Mars. Talk about hope. My goodness. Well, he goes on to say this. That's, I think, the critical thing to maximize the life of humanity, how long our civilization will last. So, so Elon Musk is banking on this. We've got to create some sort of society, some sort of sustaining city on Mars for life to carry on. Listen, go buy your Lotto 649 ticket because you got a better chance of that happening than his wishful thinking. I'm gonna just, I'll just be honest. At least that's a, that, that'd be, that's a little commentary. It's not Bible. That's Steve Jantz's commentary over here, right? Oh, and also, don't go buy a Lotto 649 ticket. Please don't say, oh, the pastor told me to go buy a Lotto 649 ticket. No. You get what I'm getting at, though? Jeff Bezos said this, I've been studying it and thinking about it since I was a five-year-old boy. But that is not why I'm pursuing this work. I'm pursuing this work because I believe if we don't, we will ex eventually end up with a civilization of stasis, which I find very demoralizing. The only hope is out there somewhere in space, and so we're creating these space shuttles, and now there's recreational space travel going to be happening. And you can line up with your $250,000 and get a seat for 90 minutes or whatever it is. Crazy. No, this hope, this hope, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope, is a certainty. It's an absolute assurance. It's a future reality. It's a confident expectation. And the reason it is so sure, so real, so absolute is because the foundation is built on Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and his resurrection. And this certainty is an inheritance that is awaiting us. You all know what an inheritance is. In the Greek, it has this idea of wealth being passed down, something of extreme value. And, and here the description is it's imperishable. It's never going to fade. It's undefiled. Uh, this word unfading describes a flower that never withers or dies. Ladies, ever get a bouquet of flowers from your husband? If you are married, maybe years ago, it's a vague memory. And you're so thrilled and you try to do whatever you can. My, my wife, Sarah, she, when I get her roses sometimes, also maybe a fading memory, Sarah, she'll hang them upside down and try to dry them. You know what happens even after a few years and a few moves are gone? This inheritance, unfading, kept for you in heaven, undefiled. So the gospel is about God's glory. The gospel is about God's mercy for you. The gospel is about God's strength for you right now. He's going to give you everything you need today, tomorrow, this week. Understand that the gospel is going to do that. The good news of Jesus being raised from the dead and the gospel is about God's future promise. Now, here's the outplay. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but here's the outplay. Look at it in verse 6. This is amazing. Look at what it says in verse 6. In this you rejoice. This is Bible study 101, when you read the words in this, what should you ask? What's the question you should ask when you read in this, you should, uh, in this it says, uh, uh, you rejoice. What's the question you ask when you read in this? In what? Good, you're awake, in what? It's, it is rather basic Bible reading, but it's critical. Well, in everything that he just finished talking about, namely the gospel, in this you rejoice. In the gospel, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. 
I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I'm, I've got to believe that in a crowd this side watching on TV or inside the German center here behind us, that there are some of you who are going through some trials. And Peter says, you can rejoice even if right now you're going through a trial so that the test the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have seen him, you love him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you've not, you do not now see him, you believe in him. Now listen, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. It's joy. The result of the gospel is joy in your life. Follower of Jesus, your life should be marked with joy. It should be marked with inexpressible joy. It's the benchmark of a believer. Even, and I say this cautiously, not flippantly, because some of you have gone through some deep, deep valleys. But the Bible says here that even in suffering, joy should be the benchmark of the believer. In this you rejoice, in the gospel, that God in his great mercy has brought you to life, that God is strengthening you, from, strengthening you from day to day, that God has promised you an eternal hope and an everlasting, unfading inheritance in Jesus Christ. And those things act as an undergirding so that even in suffering today, there can be an element of joy and gladness in Jesus. Folks, you need to know that after almost 35 years of ministry, I'm convinced above, uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that one of the strongest testimonies here in Kelowna in your neighborhood and your, to your family who don't know Jesus is going to be your joy put on display in the midst of hardship. I believe it with all my heart. You see, an atheist, somebody who is an agnostic, somebody who doesn't know or love Jesus, they understand to some degree health and wealth and prosperity. They get it. It's what they're striving for. My goodness, you guys live in one of the richest cities in Canada. So you understand that people understand nice houses and cars and recreation. But you know what an atheist and that agnostic or somebody who doesn't, doesn't want anything to do with God, you know what they don't understand? Is how you might be able to find joy and gladness in the midst of suffering. That they don't get. And that's why it's one of the greatest testimonies, I believe, that when you're going through a hardship, and it's not that you ignore that or that it doesn't cause pain or grief or tears, but that that God in his grace can mingle that sorrow and those trials with his, with his joy and, and gladness. Why? Because of the gospel. Because of his mercy that he's poured out on you. That he's strengthening you and guarding you today. And there's a future promise that's awaiting you one day. So, Hope Bible Church. Rehearse the gospel every day. This is the gospel. And you need to be reminding yourself of his mercy, of his strength for today, and of the future promise of a salvation that will one day be revealed. Ponder it, meditate on it, rejoice in it, rest in it, find your security in it. And it's going to act as a, as a foundation for joy in your life, even in the midst of trial. And then depend on Jesus and the gospel every day. It's going to push your affections Godward. It's going to give you inexpressible joy. It's going to guard your hearts and minds and give you strength so remember the gospel is about god's glory it's about his mercy for you it's about his strength for you guarding you right now right here right today 
and it's about God's future promise for you. Live the gospel, Hope Bible Church, and be a testimony in your neighborhoods and here in Kelowna. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. We want to hear this, and I confess, O oh God, that so often these words are easier spoken than lived out, and so I pray that you would strengthen my brothers and sisters here this morning, those who know you, who love you, that their lives would be deeply in the foundation of the gospel and what you have done, Lord Jesus. And Lord, if there's anybody here today who doesn't know you and they're on this journey of searching and some of the words that they've heard today don't even really resonate or, or they resonate, but they don't make sense, I pray, oh God, that you would continue to draw them to yourself. We pray these things in the most precious, the most powerful, the most magnificent name of Jesus Christ. Amen.